In the middle of a novel that I love, a wizard arrives at the desolate house of an ancient family line of priest kings. But the man who's sitting on the throne in the palace is not the king. The line of the true king has been lost, so a line of stewards was established, ambassadors for the king, until the promised heir could make his way back to his homeland. So the man who meets the wizard at the palace doors is the 26th steward, and the land of his kingly family is about to be destroyed, so the wizard has come to warn the steward. But the steward thinks that the wizard has come to take his power away from him. In fact, the steward thinks that the throne, that line of kingship and authority, actually belongs to him instead of the true heir. The steward has heard rumors of a stern, humble man roaming around in the north with the hands of a healer and the heart of a warrior. That man is the heir to the throne. I will not bow to him, says the steward. I will not bow to this ragged remnant of a long breath of lordship. And the wizard steadily meets the steward's gaze and says, Authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king. This scene I just described is from a very small, not very well-known series of books called The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Perhaps you've seen a couple of the movies as well. It's one of my favorite scenes from the movie. And even though Tolkien is talking about his character Aragorn, son of Aragorn, from the line of Isildur in this story, I always think of Jesus, son of God, from the line of David, a humble man who roamed in the north of Israel with the hands of a healer. A carpenter from a lost line of ancient kings with names and titles charged with meaning. Anointed one. Suffering servant. He was heir to the throne of his forefathers. And he is king of the cosmos. And in the fullness of time, the king of the cosmos became human and moved into the neighborhood. He lived among us, his stewards and ambassadors. He taught us about the things of God and things of earth. Some people caught glimpses of that royalty and they rejoiced. Some people caught glimpses and they were afraid. And some people wanted to kill him. We will not bow to this ragged remnant of a long-breathed worship. But my fellow stewards, on this Christ the King Sunday, we must remember that authority is not given to us to deny the Lordship of Jesus. In fact, our job is the very opposite of that. And it's really easy for me to forget, as a modern woman living in modern-day America with our liberal democratic society, our way of government, that my identity, my very identity, is actually hidden in the Lordship of Jesus, in this kingship. Do you ever squirm a little bit when you think about Jesus as a king? Do you ever have like a weird reaction? 
Have you ever wondered about this thing that's coming called the kingdom? I know I have. Because the idea of a monarchy is pretty foreign to us as Americans, right? It's something that we broke away from. It's stuffy tradition and worries about bloodlines. and It reminds me of colonialism and dominance. And it's hard to see how the world has benefited from a monarchy system of government. But to be honest, any human system of government sometimes. If we're in a cynical mood, right? But I think Jesus and the writers of the Gospels are quick to point out that the world hasn't benefited from a human form of monarchy. When Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate asks him if he's a king, Jesus answers with a non-answer, per usual. That's his style, right? You say that I'm a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. Jesus is a king. He's unlike any king that we have ever known before. And his kingdom doesn't look anything like our empires and our systems of government and power. Our parliaments, our congresses, our houses of representatives. Because Jesus, to quote Paul, didn't view equality with God as something to be exploited, but humbled himself taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God's idea of power and time and deliverance is so much different than ours. So what are we supposed to do? While we're waiting for this different kingdom to come, how do we interact with the empires and the democracies that are around us? We're here. We're now. Do we draw ourselves completely away from the world and just, just focus on that different kingdom that's coming, just ignore everything else? Or do we do the opposite? Do we fully embrace the world and forget about the kingdom? Or is there something in between? Should I vote? What does it mean to be political? Is it in between people? I wrestle with these questions a lot. Surprise! <laughs> when you claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're making a political statement. Lord is a political title in the Gospels. When we choose to follow Jesus, we have chosen the role of an ambassador as we roam this side of eternity. We are Jesus' hands and feet, representing him in whatever capacities, callings, and careers that we find ourselves in. We cannot ignore the world because God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to save it. But we cannot forget what's coming. That is a difficult tension to hold sometimes. How do we be faithful? The beautiful scandal of the gospel is this. That king of the cosmos, the king of the universe, 
knows the number of hairs on your head. Philosopher James Smith says that this realization can and should unleash its own political revolution. It means that all of creation and all of humanity matters to God in an intimate, specific way. You and the person sitting next to you and the person in line in front of you at the grocery store and all the people you come in contact throughout your daily life, those people are loved by the king of the universe. And we are the dearly beloved stewards of that king. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, authority is given to us to declare the return of that loving king. And this is an authority that we should not take lightly. As a church, we are the foretaste of the kingdom that's coming. We're the foretaste of that marriage feast of the Lamb that we'll hear about in Revelation. Our job as stewards is not just to prepare our own hearts and minds for the kingdom that's coming. It's our job to prepare everybody else's hearts and minds, too. That kingdom of God is built on the foundation of who God is and was and always will be. A God of justice, peace, love, restoration, liberation, and flourishing. Preparation starts now. So as a teacher, I prepare the hearts of my students when I walk into the classroom and we talk about worldview and theology, and in some ways I am able to communicate what I believe is the foretaste of the kingdom. And as a worship leader, I prepare the hearts of the people of God as we sing songs, realizing that at the end of all things we will be singing to the king of the cosmos in unending praise. It's preparation. These roles come with opportunities to represent Christ to those around me. And when my representative walks onto the floor of the house, she is representing the people who elected her. But she is also a Christian. And she is representing her Lord and Savior as well. So if the King of the universe cares for every hair on her head, how could she not then turn and care for those of her fellow human beings who are loved by the same king of the universe. How could she not fight for, defend, and propose ways of flourishing for the whole of creation as a foretaste of the kingdom that's coming? And I ask you, what spaces do you walk into where are you called to be Christ's ambassador in the world? A cosmic ambassador. How do you wield your power? Where are you complicit? Where are you speaking the truth in love? By the power of the Holy Spirit, authority is given to us to declare the return of the King by emulating our Savior when He lived and walked among us and
and many will use this power for their own gain. Some people will be corrupted by it. Like the steward of Gondor in Tolkien's novel, they will be curved in on themselves, only looking to their own interests. But the power of love given to us by the Holy Spirit is a power that reaches out to comfort and heal, to encourage and to speak truth. It's a power that recognizes the true king of the cosmos, where that power comes from. And it joyfully prepares the world for his return. This I declare to you with great joy and hope and thanksgiving. The king is coming. Don't be afraid. Jesus reigns for now and all eternity. And as we work, we wait. With active, expectant hope. Knowing that our King loves us with an unfailing, enduring love. Do not be quiet about that love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.